I was actually thinking the uh, Australian Brews News Stadium, uh, <laughs> the podcast from up here. <laughs> but we'll come down and record it here. So we can be as far away from Cairns as we can possibly be. Oh, no, no, we said the podcast for here. <laughs> for up here. <laughs> With over 25 years in the field, Cryer Malt have been bringing you the world's best local and imported malts. They are your premium brewing partner and they are our premium proud supporters of this Brews News Week. I'm your host, Pete Mitchum, and joining me from Brisbane, as he always does, it's Matt Kierkegaard. G'day, Matt, or Konnichiwa, Matt. <laughs> Good morning, Pete. Yes, yes. Uh, maybe Staying relevant and topical. Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> well, yeah, but you probably get in trouble for um, you know, playing or turning Japanese um, as a theme song these days. I don't, you know. I, I... That's been that's been getting a fair run. It has to be. It has. Said, yeah. on, as has you know, pictures of the album cover and all sorts of other. Along with, and this is the really interesting thing, and, and Shane Jespritzer um, highlighted something that we, we were all experiencing, um, and obviously we're talking about the the news that um, CB has been snapped up by a Japanese brewing company, Asahi, um, and the number of people, I guess, outside of our, our sphere uh, who were lamenting the fact that it's been bought, you know, this Australian company's been bought, but no, 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 that, that, that happened a long, long time ago. This is just a, a, a change of national flag, but it, it hasn't been Australian for a long time. And I think that's a that's an interesting point. We sometimes, you know, the, the rarefied air that we inhabit, um, we sometimes forget that this sort of stuff isn't used to, to people who have been drinking VB or, or Carlton Draft all this time. There was some discussion in the Facebook group um, about that. And, yeah, so so we might come back to that and park that because that will be our deep dive for today. But obviously, up front, the, the, the news was the news that nobody could avoid. Um, CUB is now owned, well, or soon to be owned by Asahi. So we'll talk a little bit about that um, towards the end of the podcast. We shall. But just quickly before we kick off, uh, congratulations, Matt, on another what looked to be, from afar, a very successful regional flavours up there at Brisbane South Bank. For, I think, oh, maybe Thank the you. seventh or eighth year? Because I, I think I joined you maybe the second or third year and did a bit of um, barbecue stuff up there with Meat and Livestock Australia. Um, that was after you were on the Australian barbecue team, yes? Yeah. And um, and I thought, wow, this is, this is a really cool little... Fest, like it's a, it's more a, it's not really a festival, is it? It's, it's more, a, I guess, a public celebration of, um, you know, Queensland food and produce. No, look, and yeah, th- thanks, Pete. Like I hadn't even, you know, <laughs> it's one of those things. One thing finished, move on to the next one. Don't look back. So I, uh... I, I yeah, I know it's, I know it's not on our notes, but I just thought um, the fact that Paul West from River Cottage Australia, um, obviously sees enough value in it, or gets enough value out of it. I don't know which it is. Maybe his fee is really, you know, you can't turn it down. Um, but he keeps coming back year after year. He, uh, that, that's right. Well, he he was um, – so so just a background to it. Regional flavours is – South Bank Parklands are that huge, lovely parklands um, on the South Bank, the old expo facility. It Why is it called South Bank? Because it's on the South Bank of the Brisbane River. Got it. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. No, hang on. Does that make sense? That yeah, I'm just going to write that down, so. No. Okay, so South Bank Parkland explained what it was, where it was gone. But then they've got Little Grey Street and Grey Street, so it, it extends right back to the convention centre, basically. And so the Charming Squire and all of those places, uh, Tipplers Tap, are all part of the South Bank precinct. And part of their charter was always to activate the space. And so you know they've had a big free food festival. And it's, it's unlike some of the, you know, good food and wine shows that tour nationally where, you know, it costs you 30 bucks to get in um, as, as, as a consumer and it, it's a big business behind it. So they need to charge that entry fee. They need to charge a fortune to stand holders. So you pretty much only get the supermarket brands there and it's and then to try and convince people that it's worth coming in for 30 bucks a head they get the you know all of the celebrity chefs and do everything that is right you know on trend or you know shark jump, jumping um stage of the trend where it's big enough to draw a crowd but there's nothing forward thinking or nothing um you know future looking about it regional flavors is the opposite because they've got the land um and they are required to activate that land as for, for their commercial sponsors it's a big free food festival so they had eighty thousand people turning up because they didn't have to pay a cent to get in 
They also don't need to charge a fortune for stall holders. And so you've got this really great range of small, local, interesting producers. And then they do do some corporate partnerships with uh, um, Meat and Livestock Australia um, through their Australian Good Meat brand. And they sponsor the hunting club. And so I've been involved in this you know, the, the event for about eight or nine years back when it was in the Queensland wine tent. And it was, they gave it over to beer before, you know, we've seen this massive explosion in, in craft beer. So they were able to be forward thinking with it. So if you picture the sort of stall you would see at a um, French champagne activation, uh, you know, with beautiful, it's been professionally styled, very expensively styled, um, and normally there'd be like a Maserati or cars parked out the front, a lot of glamorous people. It's this beautiful um, pop-up bar that's completely devoted to small local breweries. Um, uh, and and um, the Charming Squire was a partner, so there was a, a line presence, but they had one of the nine taps. And then, you, as you said, you get people like Paul West, you get... Um, you know, celebrity chefs coming up and cooking uh, with beef, matching it to beer, and just an amazing thing. I'm just, if I sound excited, it's because it's one of the things that I'm sort of most uh, proud that I, I get to do, and I've been doing it for six or seven years. Yeah, and well done to, to all involved. Um, that's your week. Uh, obviously, we're now gearing right up for the ECA, speaking of lots of taps and giving <laughs> lots of people yeah. lots of good beer. Uh, but in the meantime, Matt, I was listening to uh, ABC Radio in Brisbane and uh, heard a familiar voice. You've been, you've been tarting yourself out this week. <laughs> uh, but this was, this, was com- this was this uh, was completely different. And reason, speaking of regional flavour, um, this is a Queensland only sort of thing. Um, the Queensland Fire Levy. Talk us through that. Okay, yeah. So, because um, I'm thinking, what's that got to do with breweries? Okay, so well, yeah. So it, it, it's a little bit of a Queensland case, but it, it, it was big news, and it's the sort of thing that I think Queensland or, or breweries nationally do face. Um, you know, they are seen as businesses, and sometimes the government doesn't quite take note of the the, the structure of the business. So. Um, in Queensland, there's a thing called the emergency services levy, and that pays for fire and ambulance and those sorts of things. And it was when, you know, back in the 80s, the government didn't want to be seen to be increasing taxes. So they created this thing called the, um, you know, fire levy that was designed to pay for uh, the, the fire service. Um, and it's levied by council, so it doesn't look like the government changes. So there's a whole lot of politics behind it. But it turns out that there was only one category for breweries. And, you know, because we had two big breweries, they had to pay $90,000 um, levy for uh, the, the, the fire service. Annually. Annually. Now, yep. um, Queensland breweries had, had the, the small breweries had been classified as a tier two um, thing. So they were paying about $500 um, a, a year. And recently the governments have said, hold on, you've been misclassified. Um, and they've created this $5,000 category for craft breweries up to 15,000 square metres. Now, that's a pretty big craft brewery, um, but it's, it's, it's resulted in a whole lot of craft brewers opening their rates notices this week and going from $500 to $5,000. So there's been a bit of a, a, a furor. So the um, IBA and individual brewers have been lobbying um, furiously this week, um, and it's, it's, it's hit the media in, in a fairly big way, which says a couple of things. One, the Queensland government, um, despite the craft beer uh, strategy, just really doesn't understand the size and scale of craft breweries. And just to give you an idea, Prof, that $5,000 levy on craft brewers. Now, I can't remember the last time a craft brewery uh, caught fire, I have to say, um, but if I had a fuel storage facility... Um, up storing up to a million litres uh, of, of fuel, I'd be paying $1,700. Um, and a brewery is paying uh, $5,000. If I had a 40 hectolitre, uh, sorry, a, a 40 hectare forestry plantation, I'd be paying $1,700. And I'm pretty sure they catch fire and are a little bit harder to put out than uh, a brewery. So um, when you think about it and you see all those, you know, on um, Twitter and Facebook, uh, whenever, you know, a, an accident happened, you know, with a, a tap or a valve in a, in a brewery, it's pretty easy to put out a fire. <laughs> well, <laughs> just yeah, run around, just open all the valves. Beer doesn't if, catch if fire. If you really had you to, know, exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, so look, I mean, you know, it's it's not I, emergency services need to be paid for all of those sorts of things. But a the government did had no consultation with the industry. Um, there was no, hey guys, we've made this mistake. This is what we've done to fix it. Well, you know, over the next two or three years, we have to increase it. It's just bam, here's five grand. Now I did a few calculations on this prof, uh, for ABC Radio and. In Queensland, a lot of the craft breweries are limited in size to produce 200,000 litres or around about 4,000 kegs a year. Um, now, when you speak to, to brewers, the profit margins after all of the input costs into the beer, but not including marketing to sell it or the um, you know, uh, rent um, for the, the, the brewery, they're making around about 80 bucks a, a keg um, for, for kegs that they wholesale. Um, so essentially, this levy is going to be costing them 67 kegs worth of beer when the government will only let them sell 4,000 totally. Um, and that's to hopefully pay the, the, the poor owner, um, pay back the bank um, and you know, pay rent out of that 80 bucks as well. So it's a pretty big impost. Um, it could really hurt a lot of the breweries up here. Um, and it just on any equitable look at the other categories uh it, it's just completely inequitable application uh of, of the, the fire service levy um, and completely misunderstands brewers so you know on, on one hand you've got cameron dick saying we support craft breweries with the craft beer levy on the other hand you've got a whole other arm of government craft beer strategy uh, craft beer strategy um you've got a whole other arm of government just showing that they have absolutely no idea what size and scale these breweries are. So, yeah, so, so yeah. that was a, a bit of a story this week. It was. Um, speaking of beer, have you tried um, um, Cooper's Dunlop Volley? I mean, Cooper's XPA? <laughs> yeah, look, I, I, I threw this in this morning because I just saw it. Like, I was just going through Facebook to sort of catch up um, on any news that we might have missed. And in the you know, sponsored posts or in, in, in the hot news, there was um, been seeing Cooper's new XPA um, you know, sort of in, in, in my Facebook feed a little bit. And then straight afterwards, I saw an ad for what well, in our day, Prof, with the old Dunlop volleys, um, but now they're just volleys, um, with a picture of a high top volley. Um, so to, to, we, we do have some younger listeners, listeners much younger than us, but the old volley was, uh, I described it as, it was the old cheap, cheap um, as target bought, uh, tennis shoe um, that harkened back to a whole other vintage that was a little bit retro back in the 80s when Reeboks and Nikes uh, were huge um, and you wore them with your cut-off army car keys and a, uh, um, a pastel polo shirt with your collar popped. Um, got, to have the, got to have the collar up. <laughs> you got to have the collar up. It was the 80s. It was yuppies. There were no hipsters back then. Um, and, and you wore their shoes. And of course, as fashions do, they disappeared. And um, not only did they, were, they look... They were taken over by boat shoes, I think, weren't they? Oh, look, I don't know, but they're no longer Dunlop. And I hadn't seen them for a long time. Um, and But suddenly <laughs> seeing them in... And I thought, gee, that, that, that's interesting. So not only have they come back and they're trying to make them big again, um, but they're they're innovating. Um, and there was very laden uh, inverted commas around that, if you missed that. Um, innovating by basically ripping off the old Converse high-top um, skater shoes and giving a high top, and there, there was just quite which, which an... then just doesn't make them Dun, Dunlop volleys anymore. Well, they're not because well, the whole thing about Dunlop volleys was it, it wasn't like Nike or Reebok where you've got a fifty different you know uh, variations on it, effectively exactly the same thing, um, you know, with a flag on the back of it or a um, you know a, a basketballer's name or you know different colours and whatever. Dunlop volleys was just it was just cookie cutter, bang bang, you know. This is this is how they are. They were plain white, and there was like a green. There was a little bit of green trim, green or a little bit of blue trim, um, and that was about the, it. Around yeah. the tongue, yeah. And, and and that was part of their their appeal was that they were so simple, and so you could be you know downbeat. Um, but they were the Volks, the Volkswagen of the of the footwear world. This is the second hand Volkswagen of just, the footwear. Yeah, yeah, just very utilitarian. Nothing fancy. And the, the, the kids could, I don't know if you remember, Prof, the kids used to sort of checkerboard, you know, they'd get a black Nico and checkerboard on them because they were so cheap. You, you, you could scuff a, them up, you could... A black Nico? Yeah, but then, then you would what's sort a, of, What's a Nico? Nico pen. 
you know, like a a black pen, like a, a texter. Texter. Oh, I'm saying, yeah, okay. okay, we're going to be talking. No, well, no, and no, 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 no. I say that because I asked when I was over at, uh, at in Auckland for Gabs, um, working with my beautiful volunteers over there, and I said, "Oh, does anyone know where the texter is?" And they all looked at me <laughs> like, I said, "What do you mean?" And you said, you go, "I mean a jandal." A texter. <laughs> <laughs> no, but if um, if one of our New Zealand listeners, because it's just escaped me now, but it was. Um, Oh, no, we called them, and it was like the proprietary name of... Yeah, Texter, which was like Texter highlighter. Was might have been Highlighter. I said, no, but a highlighter is a neon. So neon, what do you call yeah. <laughs> and then they called them something else. So anyway, anyway. Th- th- this isn't Australian pen uh, news or radio pen news. This is uh, Australian <laughs> Brews news. So we'll just move on from that. So but yeah, anyway, so so that was... So the, you got um, your Nico, yeah, and you've but, checked no, no, it. No, no, let's move on from that, Prof. <laughs> let, let, let's get back to the case at hand, which is... Yeah, so, so there's this old brand, very, very daggy, um, and uh, innovating um, by adopting a popular with the kids style. Um, and it was just really interesting that there was a social media juxtaposition between that and Cooper's coming up with um, the XPA because, you know, it's fair to say that over the last um, couple of years, Cooper's has had more misses than hits. Um, You know, they celebrated their 150 years with the Thomas Cooper range that they stuck at but just didn't really go anywhere. Um, they had <laughs> what, what we, one... we talked at the time to Dr. Tim, didn't we, about the um, the celebration ale that they used to mark, and even you and I sort of had different opinions on whether or not that was the right style of beer, you know, to to celebrate such a milestone. Yeah, um, and then famously, and we talked about it in in recent podcasts, the IPA that kind of was a bit IPA-ish, but not really. You know, it was neither one thing nor the other. Well, I, I had somebody, you know, somebody in the industry describe it as the worst beer that they've tasted. You know, the, the first product launch that they've tasted. Now, obviously, they're, they're talking about mainstream or you know, sort of bigger brands, but it, it, it was one that I think um, a lot of craft breweries would have been a little bit embarrassed by, um, and it just died very, very quickly. Um, and yeah, so so it was just interesting that the the you know over the last. Um, 12 or 18 months, the three things that they've done is put beer in cans um, well after pretty much everybody in the industry was doing that. Um, and incidentally, they were putting uh, their beer in cans 10 years ago through the Dr. Tim's range. And I asked them, you know, when cans started becoming big in the US, whether they were going to mainstream um and they just said no. Um, they didn't see a need. They didn't see a market for it. Um, and they said no. Suddenly, um, the, the the craft brewers have innovated. They followed suit, and now we've got pale and also sparkling in in cans. Um, so you know they've they've they followed the, the the trend as opposed to potentially leading it. Um, and now they've gone the the summer ale. I think they call their stone and wood knockoff. Isn't it Session Ale? Session Ale, sorry. Session Ale, yeah. which is galaxy-driven. You know, nice beer, but absolutely beer. no innovation. Um, and they were the, the last to the party. Um, and now they're looking to, you know, arguably, um, the the other cool kids, Bolter, um, for inspiration with their XPA. Um, so, you know, I want to hear good on them for, for, for modernising. But again, is it modernising when you're just following um, what other people are doing? Another interesting thing about this, Matt, I don't know, I, maybe this is, you know, I'm putting my tinfoil hat on and or, or, or maybe just my cynics badge, but didn't Zoe Ottaway talk about quite a few of these things <laughs> a couple of months ago about Coopers and all of a sudden Coopers are doing all the things that Zoe said perhaps they should look at doing? Well, Coopers, uh, yes, so Zoe, we... And I we, see we a might... spotter's fee in our future, Matt. <laughs> well, I think, I least... think they, should be, they should be throwing Zoe a bit of work if that's... Uh, Maybe that's the a, case. a bit of brewdog scandal coming out of this one, Prof. You know, <laughs> sort of uh, you know mining people or for it ideas. Just and, then... and hello to all our friends at Coopers. That Coopers do listen to Radio Brews News. Well, I don't know if they do or they don't. But uh, anyway, um, it might have been when you were overseas. But we had Zoe and also Fiona Sproles from Dusty Cowgirl Designs on. Ah, uh, of course. Yes. So yep. talk and and it, it was during that 
um, episode that we and uh, Fiona had done a lot of marketing for and design for little creatures, uh, amongst others. Um, you know, very talented designer, and we kicked around um, how Coopers might um, you know modernise because of one of the English brands had done. It was as a result to a question that we'd been asked, and it was. Uh, um, oh, about Fuller's. Fuller's. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. Which is, is Fuller's owned by Asahi these days? Was it? I think it is. <laughs> we'll park that and talk about that in the news. But yeah, so uh, yeah, so so some of these things. I think either Fiona or um, Zoe might have emailed Coop, but uh, so I'm not suggesting that that actually influenced <laughs> them. But anyway, um, back back to the uh, to the story. It, yeah, it, it's interesting to see how old brands do struggle to genuinely innovate um the, the bigger they get and that you know they they do look to the younger nimble more dynamic players for inspiration yeah i, I can't help thinking though still that, that old adage that you got to stick to your knitting and well, do, that, do, that, do, do what you do tim do quote. well that is a one of dr tim's most uh, famous sayings or favorite sayings is to stick to your knitting yeah and, well, and you do, and you can't change too much. But that's uh, that's one of the great constraining forces of growth. You know, when you grow too big, you it is very, very hard to be nimble and dynamic because it it, it can actually hurt the business. Um, yeah, I think though, Matt, it, it, it's there's some good lessons to be learned from some of the bigger breweries who have done brand re- refreshes or rebrands in the past couple of years. Uh, and I know of a couple sort of such as in the works. Um, Maybe Hargraves Hill leaps to mind, where you can you can keep you you can stick to your knitting in terms of you kind of relaunch and say right here's what everybody here's what we've always done here's all the ones that you love. But if you're new to us or you you haven't tried us out before because of you know you, our core range didn't tickle your fancy, here's um, the Beatnik brand or here is here is a a, a roster of limited releases or seasonals that might sort of get you in but we're not gonna we're not we're not leaving behind what we did world of difference between hargraves hill and coopers in terms of size um oh of course of course but 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 isn't the basic principle that coopers for most people would be um the the the, their holy trinity would have to be the sparkling pale stout well pale is their biggest seller i believe uh and yeah so but but that's what if, if if you if you just said to somebody give me three coopers beers very few people are going to go. Oh, yeah, XPA, that true. rubbish IPA, um, and the, I think very true. Yeah. Um, so I think there's there's an option to to stick with your knitting, but to also then almost create a sub brand. I guess is what I'm. And and to some extent, that's what Gage Rhodes has done. You know, Gage Rhodes. Um, of course, now that you know Atomic. You uh, know, well, uh, Atomic as, as, as a separate brand. Um, I mean, you could argue single fin. A lot of people would think, oh, Gage Rhodes, they're the ones who do single fin because it's just ubiquitous. It's just, mm. it's, it's just a, an, an inoffensive beer uh, with enough interest for, for those who want something a bit more than just a lager, but it's not going to scare away the horses for those who just want something like a lager. And, and, and that's one of the challenges for a, a brewery like Cooper's. You know, they've, they've made their name in Cloudy Isles. And when, even when you sort of see um, Cam Pearce talking about the XPA, they're talking about, you know, their classic ale, um, you know, a, a approach. But then they've got, you know, whatever Cooper's Clear is now, whatever Cooper's Dry or however they've rebranded that. They've got this range of beers that is very un-Cooper's, um, but they need it in their portfolio. Um, and you know, does Coopers want to have a, a side brand in, in the way that Gage Roads has? And you know, in, in in the wake of our next story, which is the CUB um, purchase, uh, one of the things that I've seen speculated this week is you know is Coop, is is this going to force Coopers to enter the market to maybe snap up a craft brewery? Um, you know, so they that almost becomes their craft beer face let's call that a wrap much like you might like to wrap a label or sticker from rallings around your limited release can range matt and we do think uh, i can see where you're going absolutely but uh last week i speculated because we were talking about the vb (laughs) funnily enough we were talking about vb because i did get a text from rallings who are so this is like the heat heat sensitive ink this is the heat sensitive ink and it is a technical name for which is thermochromatic ink there you go and uh, I said, oh, uh, thanks for that. Do you do it? 
We haven't, but we can do it. So, listeners, uh, if those who own breweries and those who want to be, you know, nimble and dynamic, and uh, you know, and, and copy VB and copy VB um, and call Rellings every on other brewery that's ever done thermochromatic ink. <laughs> so, call Rellings on one three hundred eight five two two three five. But you don't have necessarily have to do it. You know, I don't know a great deal about thermochromatic ink, but I'm sure that our good friends at Rallings can talk you through the uh, ins and outs of thermochromatic ink. But in, in the case of craft beer, you don't have to say that when our beer is cold enough. You can say when you've taken it out of the fridge and it's warm enough. Maybe there's a ink that changes colour. A reverse thermochromatic a reverse, ink. <laughs> so it says this has now reached the perfect also, temperature yeah, so to maybe, pour into maybe, your um, glass. Maybe you've put the can in the fridge and it, t- and it, and it becomes what looks like a VB can. But when you take it out, as soon as it goes back into a craft beer, it's ready to drink. Oh, mate, you're giving away all of our good ideas. Oh, how cool would that be? Okay, we've got about uh, six hours before this goes live that we can trademark and... Put trademark. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so get our intellectual property protected. Done. All right. I've just written myself and typed myself a note. But anyway, um, Rallings labels Matt. and stickers can talk to you about thermochromatic ink and all of your other uh, small batch label and uh, shrink-wrapped uh, labelling needs. And you can call them on 1300 852 235. And we do thank our good friends at Rallings uh, for supporting this thing that we call Brews News Week. We do. Now we go into unwrapping. And this week, Matt, uh, talk about layers. We <sighs> had to unwrap the story of CUB snapped up by Asahi in a deal worth $16 billion. Um, and boy, did the internets fire up deluxe. It wasn't an interesting prof. And, and, and I do have to say that even, you know, six days later, um, basically we know It's still that clear as mud. AB InBev and Asahi have agreed to terms. Um for the sale in terms of value and, you know, what is and isn't included. Um, beyond that, everything is speculation. So, you know, I just sat back and laughed a little bit last Friday night at some of the speculation um, that was taking place about the, the bordered on intent and things that were going to happen when it, it, everything was speculation because this dropped it like a bombshell on, I would imagine, all but the highest levels of even CUB. This was... The, the, the phones would have been running hot between Belgium and J- Japan <laughs> over the last couple of weeks, particularly as the AB InBev Asia-Pacific um, listing in Hong Kong fell apart. Um, the, some of the Asian news sources indicate that this has been on in discussion since April. Obviously, when that fell apart, AB InBev has desperately needed a cash injection to reduce some of their debt. They couldn't get the money that they were looking for on the stock market listing. This came back very, very quickly afterwards. This can't have been a plan B, though. This must have been in the works for a long while. Like, Asahi, don't just go, oh, uh, g'day, mate. How are you, knackers? How's things going? I noticed your um, your thing on the stock exchange fell over. Um, how does $16 billion sound? Oh, no, no. Uh, and I've shared a couple of, you know, with this sort of thing, the Australian and the Financial Review have done some pretty good coverage. I've actually been going to some of the Japanese um, business papers to look because ultimately CUB wasn't, you know, they were the um, stepchild who suddenly, sorry, they, they were the child that suddenly found they'd been adopted out and knew nothing about it. Um, you know, we can't afford to keep you. Um, we're selling you off for, you know, what's the line in Meaning of Life? Uh, we can't afford to keep you all. We're selling you off selling for, you off for medical experiments. experiments. Yeah. Um, and basically, because my it, religion wouldn't let me no, <laughs> yeah, no, But basically, it, it came as a surprise. So um, this apparently, um, from from what the, the the finance papers are saying, has been you know in the works um, as a as a if not a plan B, as a side by side or a contingency um, for the Asia Pacific listing um, since about April. So they've been talking about it, but it happened so quickly that you know it just highlights. Uh, AB InBev's need um, for for cash. Yeah, and as some of our commentators, including Mazen Hajar, who um, I reached out to, we had a bit of a phone call and he mentioned a couple of things to, to clarify a few things for me. And I said, oh, look, I'm coming out to pick up some beer. Can I just bring the uh, the microphone and are you happy to go on the record? Um, it, it's really amazing how you, you look at all the different players and all the different structures and, and you know, the only reason we they did this was to you know, make it so that they were too big to be bought out. 
but now, hang on, we've got this tonne load of debt and we need somebody else to buy a bit so that we can repay that debt. And it's just all, at the end of the day, you know, we just drink beer. But at a corporate level, it's almost as if the beer is irrelevant. The beer is just, you know, that's just the, the shape of the chess pieces on a board. And I, and I think that's the bit I struggle with. I just don't get that business. And look, I, I, I guess I understand, you know, it's it's kind of like just a great big game of Monopoly to some people. Um, but when you're talking, you know, billions of, of dollars, it's just, I don't know. It, and, and that's the, the, the thing that I find fascinating is, you know, there, there's a, a, chess game, a chess game going on, but no one can sort of foresee a lot of the things that are going to happen because, you know, we, we had SAB Miller by... CUB, um, and then suddenly, ABN, or you know, the AB, uh, the, the InBev Anheuser Busch merger a couple of years before. Then suddenly, those two merge, but because of the consolidation of the market, uh, the the AB InBev had to sell off Peroni, um, Grolsch, Grolsch. Uh, Pilsner Akel. Pilsner Akel. They also previously Asahi had bought Meantime. Uh, this year they bought Fuller's, um, with not from AB InBev, and now suddenly AB InBev to reduce their debt. And they were always going to, my understanding was that they always intended to sell off the Australian operations because it is so small globally until they looked at the books and realised just how profitable it was. Um, and so falling, you know, all of the table scraps that Asahi has gradually been picking up has seen Asahi jump from you know, the number nine brewer in the world or the number eight brewer in the world to seven and now to number three. You know, that's where I think that we're really going to see over the next, you know, six to 12 months, uh, some of the other players are going to have to start looking at, well, what do I buy and or who do we partner with to try and get some scale ourselves because they are going to be left behind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And look, uh, apropos of that, I guess the... The next important thing is because a lot of people were sort of saying, "Oh, there's no way the AACC won't allow this, uh, you know, to happen." Um, the AACC says it's been what was the quote that they've been notified of the proposed transaction, and they'll look into it for you know, public submissions or, or they'll look into it for submissions. But yeah. you know, we, we, we've got to see um, the the AACC. The, I, I quoted just in a, a bit of you know analysis and observation earlier in the week. The, the, the last time the ACCC, apart from the TAP contracts, when they found that there was no loss of um, competition through TAP contracts because publicans weren't saying that they felt pressured, um, the, the, the last time the ACCC seriously investigated the, the beer industry was Cooper's. Um, and they found that even though Cooper's at that stage had 4 or 5% of the market, there was the big two, and then next to no craft breweries going back 12 or 13 years, that because most of the competitive tension, so you really only had three major players, with most of the competitive tension in the market between CUB and Lion, losing Coopers... Wouldn't have made a pinch book difference. Wouldn't have made any difference yeah. at all, which I was very surprised at back in the time. Back, back at the, the, the quote the was, uh, so the proposed uh, Lion purchase of Coopers yep. um, was said to be unlikely to result in a substantial lessening of competition. Yeah, and you know that's that's the, the the really surprising thing about that. So that seems to be the uh, laissez-faire attitude of of the ACCC. But gee, you know, Prof, as I said this week, um, somebody from one of the competing large businesses describing CUB's new portfolio is pretty compelling when they've got Peroni, Asahi, and Stella. Uh, three pretty compelling international brands that any publican would probably want. Because you know you're going to be able to sell it. Then you've got a whole lot of second-tier um, international brands. Then you've got you know, Mountain Goat, Mountain Pirate Goat. Life, Four Pines, yep. plus the incubated ones, Fat Yak. Does Matilda Bay still exist anymore? Um, you've got Cascade. You've got Great Northern. And then you sort of start going. And then you look at the line portfolio. Um, they've got Iron Jack that's sort of a distant second to um, Great Northern in Like for Like. Um, Forex Gold is still the number one brand, I believe, but falling. They've got Kieran, obviously, which is a parent company. 
but then their other international brands are Heineken, which they don't own, um, Guinness, which they don't own, um, and as we've seen, whilst they've got a contract um, for, for, for now, who knows how long those partnerships are going to be. And with Heineken being the number two brand internationally, suddenly seeing AB InBev um, reducing debt, suddenly seeing uh, Asahi coming up behind it, uh, Heineken going to start taking a greater look at the Australian market and wonder whether they're being well served by Lion representing them here or whether they could do better going head to head with uh, the, the new CUB, whether they start acquiring. It is just, you know, it, it, it's a spider web. You pull one strand and the whole web moves, Prof. Yeah, exactly. And look, the other thing, Matt, I think for me, it really brings into sharp focus is that in Australia now, you can you toss a coin, toss a dollar coin, and there's an 80% chance that that dollar will land in the hands of either Coles or Woolies, right, in terms of um, uh, supermarkets, in terms of uh, petrol stations, in terms of um, gambling, in terms of um, hardware, all these, all these various things. There's now also a 90% chance that that dollar coin will land in the pocket of a, a Japanese corporation when it comes to beer. We need to say that you know, one of the other things is, you know, what's it, what does this mean for, for CUB? And, you know, Asahi has been pretty hands-off with Mountain Goat, I think it's reasonably fair to say. Um, Mountain Goat has flourished um, in terms of, you know, their, their beers are as good, if not better than ever. Um, yep. really... And certainly at a local level, Matt, you look at all the um, AIBA awards have all been for the stuff coming out of Richmond. So it's all been the rare breed or the crossbreed limited release stuff pretty much. Yeah. So, you know, so, so they obviously uh, haven't hurt the business there, um, have given a little bit of extra push behind it. You know, my, my question is how much bandwidth has CUB got to take these brands on because it just hasn't shown in the past that it's got the ability to walk and chew gum sometimes. Um, it likes a couple of big brands that almost sell themselves on, you know, it likes brands, not beer is the way that I would categorize it. They like to put a yeah. billboard up. They like yep. to do uh, partnerships with big chains and then they like to sort of make sure that the, the, the beer doesn't disappoint. But they haven't but then, been, every, but then every six months change from brand A to brand B. This is what we're going to focus on now, and this is going to be the don't have a great attention span. Yeah, so so that's the other thing they can't walk and chew, chew gum. But look again, like that that's might sound like implied criticism, but you know, Matilda, Matilda Bay, where's that these days? They you know they just couldn't grow that. They couldn't incubate it. Um, they spun off uh, Fat Yak that took off by itself um, because it was a, a beer of its time that just had the right marketing um, and then tried to put this whole extension line on that. Doesn't seem to have fired the way that Fat Yak did. Um, Cascade, where's Cascade these days? Um, they've tried to make it a craft brand. They've put in smaller bottles. They mishandled that. Um, you know, so it's disappeared. Um, Frothy, just a, a knockoff brand. Um, they just don't seem to have the ability to sort of take too many hero brand. They're a hero brand company, not a beer company. Um, and so I wonder what will happen to some of these brands. We shall wait and, and see. see. But Prof, uh, just picking up one of the other things we did talk about in the intro was whether consumers care. Um, you know, we've seen Jamie Cook uh, from the IBA come out and say that consumers are sick of seeing this ping pong or, you know, pinball around, um, you know, uh, amongst various international companies. And there are a couple of our listeners that weighed in questioning whether that was the case. Um, and, you know, again, I never know whether it's my hope over experience um, as to whether, you know, w w which way it will go. And I was caught, was caught myself saying in the media that maybe this will see consumers start to look to, to local brands. But I'll just give you, there was a headline that caught my attention this week from the Townsville Bulletin, um, one of my favourite brands, Great Northern. Um, one of the most respected beer brands in North Queensland has chosen not to quench the thirst of Townsville residents wishing for the Great Northern Stadium to become a reality. Townsville punters, um, <laughs> reading the Townsville Bulletin's story about the naming rights of the new Queensland Stadium, made multiple requests for the Great Northern Brewing Com Company to come on board. The Townsville Bulletin does not suggest its readers sink tins while perusing the paper, although that is more than acceptable. 
Um, you can tell this is a North Queensland paper. Um, and uh, a spokesman for Carlton United Breweries, the owner of Great Northern, said the company loves Townsville, but the name just wouldn't happen because it would be crossing enemy lines. We love Townsville and are excited that Townsville is finally getting the stadium. It deserves the Great Northern Stadium. Sounds great, but it wouldn't work as the Cowboys are sponsored by one of our competitors. Um, but you just see how much love there is for North Queensland. And even the Townsville Bulletin claims Great Northern almost as if, you know, in representing its readers. Um, so not, not only is it a foreign-owned com- company, <laughs> not, you know, not only is it a foreign-owned company, but actually Townsville is significantly closer to Yadala than Yadala is to Melbourne um, because it's south yes. of Cairns. Yep. But even so, you know, they've consumers, it's a fast-moving consumer good. People like the feeling that it's the beer that represents the North, even though it's a, a, a national brand that's made, you know, 1,600 kilometres south. Um, and I don't know that the from the wash-up of Asahi owning that people are necessarily going to even connect Great Northern with Asahi. And, and another you know, significant financial journalist described Great Northern as a craft beer. So, you know, there, there's a lot of communication to go for independent brewers to get out there and bang the drum um, if, if it's going to make a meaningful difference. Yeah, and as a rugby league follower, um, I'm just grateful that, or well, hopeful that the new Townsville Stadium will no longer be called One Three Hundred Smiles Stadium. <laughs> no, I, well, I, current naming rights sponsor One Three Hundred Smiles has already bowed out of contention, Prof. As has Adani, so it's not going to be Adani, and it's not going to be Honeycomb's Property Group. Okay, so we could have. Is there an opportunity there for um, Hemingway Stadium? Possibly. Well, mate, I was, I was actually thinking the uh, Australian Brews News Stadium, uh, <laughs> the podcast from up here. <laughs> but we'll come down and record it here. Well, we are going to be so recording. So we can be as far away from Cairns as we can possibly be. Oh, no, no, we said the podcast for here. <laughs> for up here. <laughs> We're sitting here in our stubbies and thongs drinking our beer and stubby coolers because we are like you. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. Uh, so, look, plenty more, I'm sure, will come of the um, the CB sale. Um, keep the cards and letters coming, folks, particularly on the uh, Radio Brews News uh, Facebook group page and uh, through the letters and emails and comments through Facebook and Twitter. And we'll do our best to sort of try to wade through the, the tangled web and um, – and keep you up to date. But also but do weigh now, in, you know, again, um, we've been talking about a little bit the, the, the Facebook page. Mate, it's just going from strength to strength, you know. And really, we debated it um, for, for, a, for a while before we finally activated it. And, uh, you know, it, it, the, the discussion that goes on in there. So you have people like Jamie Cook um, from Stone Wood and also the IBA weighing in and providing really insightful comments. Um and then there's good discussion going between very engaged, um, you know, non-industry people who are responding to that. And, you know, I've been fascinated. I've been sharing a couple of the articles that I've seen uh, about it and uh, some of the things in our uh, mailbag um, come from that as well. So, uh, yeah, so if you are interested in sort of having a bit more of a two-way conversation than us speaking at you, um, join us there. Exactly. Um, and thanks to Beer Cartel, that's a very nice lead-in, Matt, to our mailbag. All letter writers will receive a Brews News bottle opener and they will all go into the draw to win a mixed six-pack thanks to our very good friends at Beer Cartel who sponsor our Letter of the Week and who I think we may have forgotten to announce the winner of last week. Uh, we, we Actually, Prof. Did you guys I, just sort it out while, yeah, yeah, while yeah, I was no, gone? No, no, we, we sorted it out. And uh, good. while I've been sitting here, uh, Matt Quinton, who got the, the, the letter, has posted in our, just in our private, I think our, you know, sort of the message part of uh, Brews News uh, cheers, nice mix, but no bar blade. You know, there's no pleasing oh. some people. You know, sort of, he's got a fixation. What, what are you guys doing up there in the office? He's got a. You had um, one job. A left. I can't even make out. There's a Burnley Botanical Sour. There's a Newleys um, oh, nice. Brew. There's a Mornington Brown. Uh, there's Keju. Um, and there's Lab. I have to admit, a Belgian wit beer from LAB. LA little beer. Alchemist. Oh, Little Al- Alchemist Brewing. Oh, right. Okay. I think so, mate, that's a pretty handy uh, six-pack. And uh, I've had to let Matt know that the um, Barblade is sent separately. The Barblade comes from the Brews News offices and the uh, six-pack comes from oh, of course. Uh, our good friends at Beer Cartel. 
And, and listeners, if you haven't, make sure you get your beer cartel survey done. Um, yes. And, uh, yeah, tell them that you heard about it on Radio Brews News. Tell them Matt sent you. Tell them Matt Now, <laughs> don't forget to review us on uh, iTunes or wherever you get your podcast um, and send us in an email, a letter, a message or whatever. Uh, send us up a smoke signal for to be in the draw for the letter of the week. And the first one this week comes from Daniel Massey in the Facebook group who um, pointed out, apropos of the um, ABAC focus on craft beer and all that sort of thing, uh, I wonder if these posts, and he shows them, have gone under the radar. CUB is a signatory to the code, right? These posts on the official VB Insta uh, would have to be in breach. And he shows uh, a bloke taking a slab um, home on a sco- uh, motorised scooter. Of, and of VB, yep. A, a slab of VB, and then a it looks like a fairly poorly um, photoshopped in can of VB <laughs> with a bloke jumping it on a skateboard. Victoria Bitter, if only you could get a VB skateboard. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that's from the, the Victoria Bitter uh, Instagram page. Now, is he a is that called an Ollie? Is that what the kids call an Ollie, Prof? Uh, well, it's, it's a still picture, Matt. So it could be it could be a, a tic tac with an ollie and a three sixty. Okay, right. With a fucking whoopsie do. I don't know, mate. But as uh, Will's bell, um, crafty pint, uh, contribute. I think Will's more than a contributor yeah. these days. Um, the crafty pint. He's full time journo with uh, crafty pint. Here's and I think James uh, James Smith might be OS at the moment. So Will's yes. probably uh, you know sitting in the throne. <laughs> we, we might have seen a coup. Um, <laughs> But Will weighed in and uh, made the uh, proper comment um, because uh, Dan Massey was referring to an ABAC uh, finding and... But you can't use skateboards or... Yeah, yeah. so in relation to Part 3D standard, the panel does believe that skateboarding is self-evidently an activity that to be carried safely carried out requires a rider to be alert and physically coordinated to show or imply alcohol consumption occurring before or during skateboarding will be a breach of the standard. The question is whether the Facebook post would be interpreted as the rider consuming the product after any skateboarding activity had concluded or whether the activity is yet to occur or is taking place. Um, so, so basically you can read into any picture, whatever you choose. Cause I would look at that and I go, well, we can't see his head. So I don't know that he's wearing a helmet and I can't see his other hand. He could be holding a can of beer in that other one, but <laughs> it could be, he could be shotgunning a can. Maybe the, uh, badly photoshopped can highlights that the can's not really there and he's dreaming of a can. So, uh, ipso facto, he can't be drinking it because it's not actually there. Yeah, and the hipster on the scooter too. And the hipster the, on the scooter. Uh, well, he, he's quite clearly going somewhere and going to... Uh, Actually, unless... is he a hipster? Because wouldn't a hipster have his um, lumberjack shirt tucked in? I don't know. I don't know. But, oh, are they Dunlop Follies? Oh, no, they're... um, They're Chuck Taylor. Uh, so, because if it was Dunlop Follies, he'd be drinking Coopers. That's it. And he doesn't... Well, there are two things wrong with this picture. One, he doesn't have a helmet. Secondly, I can't tell, but it looks to be a Melbourne CBD locale. And he's over to the right. For God's sake, people, when we are crossing roads or walking <laughs> the roads, keep left. And then anyway, let, pro, let, let, let's, yeah, let's, let's not just be down the rabbit hole. Anyway, really good point. And I'll just sort of update that. So that was posted three or four days ago. Um, and they were fairly recent um, posts. So I, I, I just before we came on air, I checked. They're still on the, the Facebook post. So who knows? They may have been pre-vetted um, by ABAC to make sure that they, in ABAC's pre-vetting services opinion that it doesn't show that drinking is going to take place um, or has taken place before the, the, the skateboarding activity. During, yeah, during the activity. So, and, to, and to be fair, yeah, the bloke's got a, 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 a closed, you know, an unopened case of, of VB and presumably he's on his way home to, you know, drink one or two of them responsibly or share them with friends. But this shows how hard it is for ABAC because their determination, and it's a precedent-based system where you can sort of see their working, you know, so it's like a math thing where you show you're working. So they, they, they show they're working. Um, and the question is whether the Facebook post would be interpreted as the rider consuming the product after any skateboarding activity or whether the activity is yet to occur or is taking place. So, you know... He's got it on his skateboard. He's got it on his scooter. Is he going to go down the park, knock off half a carton, and then scooter home? You know, that's the level of detail that, you know, the discussion. You can absolutely guarantee that somebody's going to be complaining about this. 
So even if it's been pre-vetted, it's going to have to be investigated and a decision is going to be made. Pre-vetting doesn't mean anything. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll be monitoring the ABAC uh, site to sort of see when the complaint has been made and when it's been decided. Well, in that case, Matt, I think I look at the Jedi juice um, and I think of Jedi as, you know, as of the last Australian census as uh, a sub-category of religion. And I look at that and I say, oh, that's just a lady who's wearing a kimono and to keep she couldn't find her earmuffs. So to keep her ears warm, she's taken a couple of uh, pan of chocolat or... Um, what are you talking you know, about? Exactly. Exactly. It's not, it's not Princess Leia. Uh, because oh, according, okay, yeah, okay. so I can do any interpretation I want. It's just some lady wearing a white kimono yeah, but, and, but it's and a couple of pastries, a couple it, it, of warm pastries straight out of the oven to keep her ears warm. That's, that's where the reasonable man test comes in. I don't think that that's a reasonable um, <laughs> assumption to make, Prof. Speaking of juice, let's jump to uh, Michael Morgan in the Facebook group. Talk us through that one. Um, yes, Michael says, with all of the discussion we've had around alcohol advertising and branding, I wanted to see what people's thoughts are on the word juice being used in the naming of beers. The context is this, I work in the industry and I honestly hadn't thought about it really. And then my wife happened to say to me tonight that she thought it was quite odd how many breweries use the word juice in the names of their beers. It made me think we often talk about the imagery and colours used in beer. Well, certainly ABAC does focus on those things. Yep. Um, not being strongly enough associated to beer and we've seen the likes of Ballistic choosing to rename a beer for more positive social influence, um, an amazing piece of self-evaluation and awareness of brand. I agree. Um, I love and appreciate the social awareness and responsibility that the industry has been working on and want to assure that we continue in the right direction. Um, so, yeah, so that was – did you have any thoughts about that? I'm, I'm not a big fan of like, – and this is – again, this is all just personal preference. It's very subjective. I, I'm not a huge, uh, hazy, Nipa fan. I can enjoy them, but I don't need to rush out and, and grab every every new one that comes along. Um, I guess I've been lucky enough to to have visited the States this time last year and was able to try a few of the originals, if you like. Um, so it's it's not something that really grabs me. But I, I, I've got to say, yeah, the, the word juice, unless it's, you know, juicy IPA or because it looks like, you know, orange juice. Should we call it juice? But that's on I, I just think it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, I take I take Michael's point, and I yeah, I'm not I'm not a big fan of it personally. And look, I, I, yeah, it, it's one of those terms that came to be described. You know, it was descriptive because it, a lot of them did look like you know mango juice or, or juice, and so and then juicy, um, all of those things. I, again, it, it, it's one of those things that this is why we, for God's sake, don't want a legislative approach, like a, a mandatory legislative approach to be, because it will pretty much be, um, if, if, if the industry can't get its house in order, um, it will just be destroyed. Because, you know, I would have thought that if something has juice emblazoned on it in an orange can, um, then quite fairly it could be complained about as... Yeah potentially appealing to children or potentially... But particularly miss- if there's a, a picture of a, you know, like a cross-section of what is obviously An a citrus fruit of some sort. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, that could quite... Having fairly- said that, I don't know, like you look at um, uh, Baird Brewing in the, in Japan um, with their, and they've got a, a, a Mikan, which is kind of like a, 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 it's a citrusy fruit, beautiful mandarin sort of thing. And so I'm happy to have that on the on the label because to me that's it's still clearly beer. And I don't object to say, as another example, um, Three Ravens Juicy having the um, that on it. Or now somebody else who did a blood orange and pomegranate recently, which I, I had, and thought, ah, what an absolute cracker. And you don't mind having the fruit visualized on the on the thing but it's still got to be i guess like you say the reasonable man has got to look at that and say it's in a bottle shop so presumably it's not a soft drink but that's where it's but that's where the the reasonable man test brings in so many um external factors and you know like if, if it's if you've got whatever your beer is called and then the description in smaller print is uh juicy ipa or you know juicy hazy whatever or however you describe it it's got juice in but it's secondary as a, as, as a description, then that's much less likely to uh, appeal to children. And it's, it's, it's quite clearly just describing the beer to somebody who knows what that is. Um, but if you've just got juice, orange can, half a citrus, that can easily uh, appeal to kids. And that's where, you know, profits, when, when it comes down to these things that are highly um, subjective, um, 
I'm a firm believer in what I call the fire break test. And I used to talk about it with beer labeling um, around ownership and those sorts of things that, you know, you, um, forests and, uh, you know, have uh, fire breaks dug in them. Um, so the theory is that the, 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 if there is a bushfire, it burns up to that point and doesn't jump across. Um, and, and so you've got a containment line and all of those sorts of things. And I think that, you know, for all the talk about brewers pushing boundaries, you need to be very aware of where the boundaries are. And I think, you know, as, as an industry, we need to stop short of the line and clearly short of the line because there will always be people who try and go that next step and that next step and then suddenly you're over the line. And when you get slapped back, the, the line can be pushed back much further than we want it to be. So, um, yes, just, yeah. the, the, the punitive effect. Yeah. And, and okay, to, now just I gave you a chance and you're stuffed up. So now your chances are, are slimmer. And, and, and some your of the boundaries are smaller. Sometimes when you see um, in, in discussions, you know, it, it's inherent in craft beer that we push boundaries. Um, or, you know, and, and, you know, Brewdog are a good one for this. You know, like they always say, look, you know, we're. The Scottish push, Brewery, please. The, the Scottish Brewery. Um, the, uh, <laughs> the, 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 the Scottish punters. Um, but, you know, Quite often, what they're actually doing is going into places that everyone else has too much taste to go because they know that it's bad practice to go there. Um, and so just because people aren't doing something doesn't mean that you're pushing boundaries in a good and constructive way. Yeah, yeah. there could, there could be a reason that there's uh, clear air in mm, that particular exactly. region. Um, now, listen, now, both Michael and Daniel, who sent us in stuff this week, I think uh, being regular, regular contributors have also uh, received goods yes. and uh, and treats from us before so if it's okay with you matt i've um one name that kept popping up totally unaware but if you if if um we can give the letter of the week this time even though we didn't read any of them out because there's quite a few but uh oscar davison who i think might be brisbane based he's part of the the facebook page group mm-hmm. um who was asking a couple of questions which I thought, and and to me that really stuck out because that's that for me is part of the I guess half the purpose of um, absolutely yeah absolutely. Of what we do this. So if Oscar Davison is listening, if you can flick us your uh, address delivery details, postal address details, I will message we'll get, him uh, now. I've got his uh, Facebook oh, sweet. page up, okay. so I'll message him now and ask for that. Uh, but don't forget, like, the, don't forget, there's the old school emails, people. Um, yeah, we, yeah. we do we, we, we do love the Facebook group, and it's it's a great. But you can send us an email, um, and I'm. And uh, you can also send a snail bar, P.O. Box 63, Red Hill, Queensland, 4051. There we go. And on that note. 4059, sorry. Oh, jeez. Thank you, Prof. And congratulations on your uh, chat with uh, Muzzin. Um, Yeah, no. Very uh, interesting. Literally, I just really pressed play and then sat back and, and just, you know, um, pressed stop at the end. But um, no, it was, it, it, I just thought it was an important uh, it was a good opportunity to get across uh, some of the uh, important topics that were the subject of misinformation and, and misconception, and uh, hopefully it's it's helped people out. And by all the uh, correspondence that I've received, it, it seems to have done its job. So um, thanks very much. To and Muzzin. I don't always but, agree with Muzzin, but he's always got you know he's always got very forthright um, views. Yeah, and as I say, I, I don't have a business bone in my body, so when I want to unpack these things, there's a, a handful of people that uh, I will speak to who's, who's business now um, and who can explain the, the, that sort of business um, jargon to me in, in layman's terms. Um, and as I say, I was, I was going out there anyway, so it was and, – and face-to-face, it's always better to have those chats. So thanks to Muzzin for, um, for being so accommodating. Um, but thank you to you, Matt. Thank you to all of our listeners because, of course, without you, um, it's, we're wasting our time. Uh, thank you very much to Beer Cartel, to Rellings, Labels and Stickers and to Cry Malt who support the show. You can do the same. Give us a call if you would like to be part of this. If you like what we do and you find that there's value in it, um, you're not necessarily going to get a you know media pack with all these numbers on you know who listens and when and demographics and that sort of stuff. Just know that the people who are listening uh, are the ones that you who want to hear your message. That's it for this episode, which is titled Goodbye Belgium. Goodbye Farewell Belgium. Farewell. It was Bye-bye, nice. Belgium. <laughs> it was fun while it lasted. Lasted, yeah. I'm sure <laughs> Joe will pull will pull something out of that that's beautiful. Yeah. Bye bye Belgium. Yeah. We'll in Bruges. <laughs> we'll we'll always have Bruges in Bruges. <laughs> 
Oh, there we go. AB InBev, I'll always remember you. Um, thanks very much to all of our listeners, and we'll see you again for the next episode of Good Brews Week. Good Brews Week. Good Brews Week. <laughs> Boom. Oh, this shit just writes itself. <laughs> and we're out. Oh, that was gold. Good Brews Week. <laughs> Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at brewsnews.com.au. All letters received will receive a Brews News bottle opener, and thanks to our good friends at Beer Cartel, the letter of the week will receive a mixed six-pack of Australian craft beer. When Brews News cast and crew are buying online, we buy at Beer Cartel. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover, because beer is a conversation. 